I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world that ours is not a loving God and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. I find you to be so interesting. Well, the feeling is mutual, I might add. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining me here on Reppin. I'm Evelyn, your host. Being the first at anything isn't easy. Going against the grain is even harder. Put a dash of high-stakes politics in there, and well you could be sitting on a powder keg. My next guest mixed these very potent elements when in 2016, he put himself in the white hot spotlight when he stepped out onto the DNC stage as the lone Republican to support Hillary Clinton. He's worked in the Reagan administration, served as a spokesman for domestic issues and a speechwriter in the Office of Political Affairs. He was also the executive assistant to President Reagan's director of communications, David Gergen. Since then, he's formed and is president of Elmets Communications, which is a high-profile media and crisis management company. You've seen him providing political commentary for CNN, MSNBC, NPR, and he's also appeared on The Today Show and Good Morning America, promoting traditional Republican values. So who is he and what compelled him to put himself out there and what happened after his speech supporting his party's opponent? We're going to find out today. Meet Doug Elmitz. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on the show. I really can't wait to get into it with you. But before we start, I want to play a quick clip of your speech from the DNC. It's an honor to be here. Candidly, it's also a shock not because of the momentous nature of this event or the size of the crowd. It's a shock because, unlike many of you, I'm a Republican. 
40 years ago, I cast my first vote for president, voting Republican that day like I would do time and again. I haven't just voted Republican, I worked in President Reagan's White House. I recently led an effort to place a statue of Ronald Reagan in California's capital. I'm here tonight to say I knew Ronald Reagan. I worked for Ronald Reagan. Donald Trump, you are no Ronald Reagan. Now, you really made quite the impression on the world when you first introduced yourself at the Democratic National Convention and endorsed Hillary Clinton, being that you're a lifelong Republican. Now, I want to just stop here for just a second and ask you, you know, what your definition of a Republican is. What are the beliefs that are held by a Republican? Like, how would you define them? Because I think these are very layered and nuanced conversations. And a lot of what's adding to these very complicated problems that we're having is that our basic definitions are very different, which, you know, obviously makes having any conversation more difficult. So, Doug, define what a Republican is. Like, what are the values of a traditional Republican? Country over party, limited government, balanced budget, free trade. That is the core of the Republican Party. And I might add that over the last four years, with Trump as being president, All of those things have gone by the wayside. And in fact, I believe the Republican Party has frankly lost its soul. It's now been divided between those who believe in the core values of the Republican Party, the party that I've been a member of for 44 years, and those who now are, as they describe them, populists, who don't believe in free trade and have watched the budget balloon beyond anything that this country has ever and hopefully will ever see. Now, let's back that up. You said you've been a Republican for 44 years. When did you decide that your values aligned with the Republican Party? Can you tell me like sort of some of your experiences that led you up to that moment? Frankly, it's not so elegant and neat as as you might hope. The reality is that I became a Republican not because of the philosophy, but because my dad was a Republican, my mom was a Democrat, and I might add to the day they died, they were both Republicans and Democrats. They canceled each other out. But I grew up in, <laughs> I grew up in Des Moines, Iowa, and Des Moines is the center of presidential politics. So it gave me an amazing opportunity to see politics firsthand. And so it it was not so much the philosophy, it was the interaction that I had with Republican candidates that made me more the follower of the party. And then the evolution of my interest in the policies began to gel. But I might add that those philosophical beliefs that many Republicans have are things that I've maybe not continued to adhere to. For example, I believe a woman should have a right to choose if she wants to uh, terminate her pregnancy or not. I believe that 
you know, people should be able to marry who they want to marry. I understand the concept of immigration that maybe the Republican Party holds now, but it differs from really a lot of my feelings. And we can get into that because I think you and I have spoken about this before. Yeah. My own life uh, challenges um, with family members that have sort of created this evolution for me that now make me uh, to some be a rhino. Do you know what rhino is? <laughs> no, it's a rhino. A Republican in name only. Uh, Democrats and hardcore Republicans love to call wayward people who don't subscribe to every single thing that whatever the Republican Party is, is a rhinos. One of the main touch points of this podcast is people having labels put on them like being slotted into these neat little categories. Right. What would you say to people that said, well, Doug, you're not a true Republican. I mean, let me just kind of lay this out. You cut your teeth working with Chuck Grassley. You have been a national commentator for the GOP. So you've been on air advocating for the GOP for years. And you worked with Ronald Reagan. You were a speechwriter. You worked in his communications department. So yeah, any way you slice this, there's no way you're not a Republican. So for those people who call you a rhino, what would your response be? Uh, I guess my response is they can go straight to hell. And <laughs> then more specifically, that if I'm a rhino, then really Ronald Reagan is a rhino. And frankly, Ronald Reagan is probably rolling over in his grave at what has happened to the Republican Party, which has been hijacked by Donald Trump. Uh, so that would be my response. I mean, you know, I, I've been called worse than Rhino, and we can get into that a lot worse than Rhino. So I, it, it's fine with me. We'll, we'll get into this, I'm sure, but the sort of the subtext of my speech to the Democratic National Convention was country over party. Right. And that is something that I strongly believe, which is we should focus on the country, and then the party is the subset. Well, you'd think that everyone would subscribe to that, right? I think it's fair to say that you've always been very much in the trenches of being in the Republican Party. But take me back to when you first started. You know, you have a mom and a dad that have opposing perspectives politically. What was that like being in that household? And how did you process all of that? Your question about the difference between my mom and my dad and their different political parties, you also have to consider that this is a generational thing. That was almost a half a century ago, where a woman barely had just gotten the right to vote. <laughs> you know, I think that one of the reasons that I sort of subscribed to the Republican Party was that my dad was actually friends with Ronald Reagan. Oh. Amazingly, in Des Moines, Iowa. My dad, when he was in medical school, was teaching tennis at um, Birdland Park, and Ronald Reagan was a lifeguard at Birdland Park. And, you know, the first time that I saw Ronald Reagan and I was talking to him, I, I, I said, you know, uh, my dad often talked about how you used to give him a ride in your brown Nash Roadster. And, oh, my God, you know, Ronald Reagan just lit up and he said, oh, I've never had a car like that. And then he jokingly said, frankly, I haven't been able to drive in decades because I'm always being driven places. <laughs> it was just like one of those funny stories. But I will say that 
um, the philosophy between my mom and dad was not so apparent. It was at that time more a label. And so I just, you know, navigated to the Republican Party. Tell me a little bit more about like sort of your value system and your beliefs, you know, then and now and how it sort of evolved through the years. I was not. Um, and I, I still to this day don't uh, look at myself as tried and true philosophical. I'm, I'm frankly much more interested in the tactician and being a tactician of the Republican Party. So I've worked on three presidential campaigns. I've been involved in four presidential campaigns. But I've worked actively paid in three presidential campaigns. You know, I like the mechanics of the whole campaign. The philosophy is something that's, um, in many instances, almost secondary. Although when you're working in the White House, as I did, I'm an advocate. You know, I'm an advocate for the president. And um, so you have to, at times, either come to terms with a, a philosophy or position that's espoused, and sometimes you have to bite your tongue. I can't think of specific instances where I had to bite my tongue. You know, it may have been, candidly, in the early 1980s, I may not have really formulated my thoughts about a woman's right to choose. But as I matured, as I ended up getting married, as you know, I began to have children, but also as the country evolved on that issue, I evolved as well. When I first saw you on the DNC stage, I was like, wow, he is the only Republican speaking out and he's doing it at the DNC. It's one thing to speak publicly in private circles, but you didn't do that. You, you turned it all the way up. So I want to really stop and just break this down for a second. You're a lifelong Republican. You've worked in numerous areas advocating for Republican values and policies. You've worked with, you know, Ronald Reagan, who essentially embodies the essence of the party's values. What was it about you that, you know, gave you the, you know, whatever, the guts to say, hey, you know, here I am, I'm a Republican, and I'm going to tell you I am voting for Hillary Clinton. I mean, there is tremendous pressure to conform. I mean, you're in a high stakes political game. You are risking your reputation, your connections, your standing within your political party. And still you went out on your own, the first guy. This was before the Lincoln Project. And, you know, being the first at anything can be daunting. You went out there and said, hey, I'm on the other team, but I'm voting for Hillary Clinton. I mean, what was that like? Maybe the impetus for all of this was that Donald Trump was trying to align himself as the heir to Ronald Reagan's legacy, that he was Ronald Reagan incarnate. And I resented that, um, as did a lot of uh, Republicans and, and, and particularly people who work for Ronald Reagan. And so I took it on as my mission to discredit that. And I began writing opinion editorials. I began doing uh, interviews. And one of the things that I wrote was the Donald, you're no Gipper. And it was an op-ed that really uh, managed to, to connect. So, and, and I want to take a few minutes to talk about this because I think it's really important for your audience to understand how I ended up getting 
to the DNC. Yeah. I was in San Francisco going on a home tour with my wife, and I get this phone call from this woman by the name of Kayang Law. And Kayang Law is a national correspondent for CNN. And I'd never spoken with her before, but I have a lot of family members who work for CNN, ironically. And she said, you know, I, I heard about this effort that you've started to try to discredit uh, Donald Trump. And I'm wondering if you've decided who you're going to support for president. I said, oh, yes, well, I'm going to support Hillary Clinton. And she said, Hillary Clinton? And I said, yes, I'm actually starting Republicans for Hillary. And she said, can I come and interview you? And uh, I said, well, well, sure. And this was Memorial Day 2015. And so this was a Saturday when she called me. My wife and daughter and I were going to Miami on Monday afternoon. I said, you know, if we're going to do it, we got to do it tomorrow. I don't know where you're located. She said, I'm in LA, but I will be there tomorrow at your home in Sacramento to interview you. I said, great. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. 
The next thing I know, it's the next day, and four big trucks roll into my house. I mean, it was a production. I mean, I just sort of thought she was going to show up with a little microphone and interview me. I mean, it was a full-on production. I was not even really sure the whole context of the interview. Anyway, she interviewed me and I said, you know, when do you think this is going to air? And she said, well, I'm not really sure, probably within the next couple of days. I said, okay, great. We are changing planes from Sacramento to Miami in Dallas, Texas. And I turn my phone on when we're changing planes and my phone blows up. I mean, I'm getting text messages, emails, phone calls. From people that I know, people I don't know, saying, what in the world is did you do? Or, 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 have you lost your mind? And I said, what are you talking about? And they said, well, this, this piece has aired on CNN about you leading this effort as a Republican for, for Hillary and just completely trashing Donald Trump in this interview. I said, well, I haven't seen it. You know, now in, in, in the airport... And I look up on, you know, one of the TV screens and who do I see but Dave Gergen, who I worked for yeah, in yeah. the White House, who has worked for four presidents, who is a commentator on CNN, yeah. defending me <laughs> against all of these people. And, and I've become this crazy news story. <laughs> so ultimately, that was the precursor to my showing up at the DNC. There was a lot more, but I do want to tell you this really interesting thing because when I did get to the DNC, we did a, a trial run before my speech. And it was down underneath the podium where I was going to be speaking in this big, huge hall in Philadelphia. And we were running through it and they had probably 10 people in the room and they were all booing me. <laughs> I was sharing a line going through the teleprompter, and every line, they were booing me. And it was rather disconcerting. And I, I said to the woman who was conducting the rehearsal, I said, what's going on here? And she said, let me tell you something. Leon Panetta, Leon Panetta, the stalwart of the Democratic Party, was speaking last night, and he was booed. He was booed at the DNC. So how do you think you're going to sort of manage to deal with this when you're a Republican out there telling everybody that you work for Ronald Reagan? They are going to boo you off the stage. So what we're going to be doing in this rehearsal is prepare you for that so that you're able to not lose pace. Because we want you to know something, Doug. Your speech is important, but it's not that important. Because a more important speech is the person who's speaking two people after you, and that's Hillary Clinton. And we are not going to have a delay in your speech because the, the, because the star <laughs> of the show is coming on a little later. Fast forward to the speech. I've never been out on the stage. I've only been underground. I've been behind. I didn't even know where the teleprompter was. I walk out onto the stage. Yeah. There are 18,000 people in this arena. 24 million people watching. And in my mind, I am trying to stay focused, but realize that I'm going to start sharing lines and people are going to be booing at me. I get out there and I said, you know, my name is Doug Elmitz. 
I work for Ronald Reagan. I've never voted for a Democrat in my life. And people were going crazy. They were applauding. I mean, it was like the, the, the antithesis of what I was prepared for. And I thought to myself, you know, how weird is this? That people are applauding the fact that I work for Ronald Reagan. I mean, how weird is that in, in the DNC? But it was, it was the point that I really was for Hillary Clinton and the DNC and, and what was going on at the time, the perfect demographic, a white man. That's who they needed to get. They needed to get Republicans, white Republican males, particularly because they have a higher propensity to vote than any other Republican. And that was the margin. And I became the face of that white Republican male that would help people put country over party. What a crazy experience to go from, you know, being prepped to getting skewered to getting this raucous reception. Can I just add one thing here? And that is that just to show you how miserable the Republican Party was and desperate they were at the time, Sean Spicer. You remember Sean Spicer, sure. Donald Trump's first press secretary? Prior to that, he was the communications director for the Republican National Committee. Shortly after I spoke, he got on and started talking about my speech to all the networks, every news station saying, I'm not a real Republican, that I'm a rhino, that I made a contribution of $500 to a Democrat. I might add that $500 to a Democrat was actually a friend of mine, and it was 15 years ago. That's how desperate they were. But, you know, it's one of those things. And you're right. It was sort of a ballsy thing to do because I began to suffer what many people have suffered when they get on the wrong side of Donald Trump. White supremacists, skinheads, neo-Nazis, they all came out of the woodwork, started attacking me on Twitter, sending me emails, scamming me on Facebook finding our home phone number and calling us. And, you know, these people, they hide behind the anonymity of the internet. But I might add, there were a few that really didn't care. In fact, there were several who live in my own community who sent me emails with their names, email addresses, and phone numbers saying that I better watch where I go when I leave my home. Fortunately, the sheriff here in our town is a good friend of mine and sent a couple deputies out to talk to some of these people and got them to back off. But there were so many threats. That gets your attention. That gets a lot more that than that. That gets your attention yeah. pretty quickly. But, you know, something, on the other hand, I like if they're willing to attack me, they're probably attacking other people. But you saw what happened at the Capitol and you, you begin to realize that these people are serious. They're serious business. And you can't just as I think I did at the time, cavalierly discount them as as just internet whack jobs because they will they will come after you because they've got this twisted logic about it. Right. When you said you were being cavalier and dismissed this behavior as you know this vitriolic spew, I mean it was 2016. So events and behaviors 
like we're seeing today wasn't really happening, not at this scale anyway. So, you know, it is understandable why you brushed it off. It was a dry run, yeah. frankly, for the next four years. Right. I mean, really, people could have looked at my situation and imagined what it could be like if Donald Trump were elected president. And the irony is that he was elected president. And every single thing that I said in that speech is exactly what proved to be true. And I and I've always been reluctant, and people have cautioned me to not say, I told you so. They said, you know, it's arrogant. Just, you know, let it go. And and I really have. Say it now? But I will say <laughs> here today on your podcast, I told you so. <laughs> I mean, and and I would encourage people to Google, you know, anybody that's listening to this podcast, Google my name, click video, and you'll see the video show up of my speech and listen to it. It's short, but it's a moment in time that was almost like a crystal ball into the future. Using your example of crystal ball, seeing it in the crystal ball and actually thinking it's going to happen are two very different things. At this point in our lives, we know to take these things very seriously. But you know, there's something I really want to point out. Many people talk the talk. They say the right things, right? But their actions are completely opposite from what they're actually saying. And there's a real disconnect there. But in your case, Doug, you really came out with a bang with all that you had at risk, your family's safety, your reputation, your relationships. Despite all of that, what made you move forward? It's not like any of this was planned. It just happened that I got a phone call from somebody as I was driving from Sacramento to San Francisco, and I was near this town of Vacaville, and it's that uh, is from Sacramento that manages what's going on at the DNC. And she said, you know, would you be interested in speaking at the DNC? And I almost <laughs> swerved off the road. I thought, well, that is absurd. I can't imagine anything crazier. I mean, for a couple of reasons. One, because I'm going to compromise my political you know, roots, Yes, but I'm also going to potentially jeopardize my business and my family. Right. Then I thought back into your, to your question, I thought back about the things that I learned growing up in Iowa and, you know, people often say, oh, well, the Midwest is a great place to grow up. Midwestern values. How many times have you heard about Midwestern values? And I do think that, you know, one thing that my parents and my grandparents instilled in me and I instilled in my kids, and that is, you know, to stand up for what you believe in, to believe in something strongly and to not allow somebody to bully you or browbeat you. You know, my grandparents were immigrants from Poland and Russia and had strong accents. And I spent like all my time with them. But, you know, they suffered discrimination, as do a lot of people who aren't like everybody else. So in direct answer to your question, what was what gave me the confidence to get out in front of 24 million people and give them uh, my thoughts about the importance of putting country over party? that 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 is and i think that that what i 
have instilled in me is what everybody has instilled in them. The question is how they elect to use it. Everybody in this country is from an immigrant family, whether they like it or not, unless you're Native American. And frankly, I've got many friends that are Native American. And, and so it's important to keep that all in perspective. Now, tell me a little bit more about your family, because you it was so interesting that when we were talking, you were saying your family is very much a picture of what a modern family looks like now. So describe your family, the dynamics, and how the makeup, that sort of unique makeup of your family reflects upon you and your values. You know, one of the things I was thinking about was why does the Republican Party hold immigrants in such sort of disregard at this moment, the Muslim ban, as an example. And I do think that post 9-11, the world changed. Um, and it's not just Republicans, it's Democrats. It's this view that anybody can come in and attack the country. Right. Sadly, it was Muslims that were held as the culprits and so they still to this day are held with some considerable suspicion, unrightly so. The evolution that I particularly uh, experienced were several things. And I, I tried to touch upon these in my speech to the DNC, but also I've talked about it in interviews and I've written about it. And this is the, the evolution of Doug Elmitz, but also maybe the evolution of a lot of progressive Republicans. So I have a niece who is uh, disabled. She's the coolest person. And I'm not kidding you. The coolest person. Really smart, but she's, she is, um, she's disabled. And when Donald Trump got up and mocked a reporter who is also disabled. Right. And right. many people may remember that. And if you don't and you're listening to this podcast, just Google Donald Trump mocking the disabled and you'll see the picture or you'll see the video. It was shocking to me. And what did I think about? I thought about Danielle, my niece. When Donald Trump disparaged and Mike Pence, I might add, everybody at the end of the you know Trump administration started making Mike Pence look like some prince. Well, frankly, He's as complicit as Donald Trump. Uh, so she, he shouldn't get any pass. Uh, his his, his uh, legacy, like Donald Trump's, will be left on the ash heap of history. But when Donald Trump and Mike Pence decided to disparage gay and lesbian people, wh what do I think of? I think of my son, who is gay, who's married, who has a son. So that attack is not just at a broader audience, it's an attack on me. And then finally, I have a niece who, um, through marriage, married my nephew, who immigrated from Tehran. She's Muslim. Can you imagine this? A Muslim and a Jew getting married in Birmingham, Alabama? Well, that's what happened. And she is probably one of the brightest people I know. Intellectually, she is so thoughtful. And I thought about Donald Trump and the Republican Party um, banning Muslims, disparaging Muslims. And I thought about my own family. And that evolution is uh, what brought me to this point. And, and it may be that I've disconnected 
from the broader Republican Party, although I don't believe that to be the case. I think that the core Republican Party believes in all of the things that I believe in, which is rights for the disabled, rights for people to marry who they want to be married to, you know, immigration that is fair, unlike the Republican Party that Donald Trump has managed to hijack, which believes all of those are are, are things that, that we should be ashamed of, that we should stay clear of. It's this isolationist view that honestly will never allow this country to progress. Doug, you're obviously very comfortable in who you are and your position in life. For people who aren't there yet, but still disagree with you know, some of the things that they're seeing right now, what would your advice be for them? That's a great question. I would say that it starts with four simple letters of the alphabet. V-O-T-E. Vote. (laughs) Because if you don't vote, you, you give up your right to argue. So many people often say, oh, well, I'm not going to vote because it's not going to matter. Well, I think this last election proved that voting really does matter. But four years ago, had people taken Donald Trump seriously? Had they listened to the warning signs, seen the warning signs? We wouldn't have had the last four years of misery because we're going to spend decades trying to recover from the last four years. It's just one of those uh, interesting things. But I would also say to those people, and that is find somebody that you can use as your front man, your lineman, you know, and that's what I have become for so many people is I'm willing to get out there and speak my mind and share my views. Find that person that you can get behind. Um, If you're the one that's reluctant to voice your opinion publicly, you're concerned about what it might do to your career, you're concerned about the consequences for your family. I don't blame a lot of people for not putting themselves in the crosshairs. In fact, I would almost encourage most people not to put themselves in the crosshairs if it's going to compromise anything in their lives. Find people like me, and believe me, there are millions of Doug Elmitzes out there. I don't know about that, but maybe not millions, but there are lots of there are lots of Doug Elmitzes out there. The Lincoln Project is a great example. They have been great. People like Tom Friedman, Bill Crystal, these are thought leaders, really, really smart people who who share their views that you can find solace, you can find comfort in. Now, having said that, with your own personal journey, after being on the DNC stage, what have you learned about your personal experience? I believe that um, I have been a shining example to my kids, who are the most important thing to me, that you can believe in a value system that is more important than anything else. And that you have to have the strength and the will and to be colorblind to so many things that exist out there, whether it's a philosophical belief, a belief in 
you know, certainly elements of discrimination, but you have to believe in, in yourself. Hopefully people can look at that speech, can look at um, my willingness to get out there and talk about what people should believe in, have that strength and use that as, as something that they can find strength in as well. Absolutely. What continues to give you the strength and to continue to step out for those who can't? People like you. you know, I'm not kidding. I mean, really, the opportunity to visit with you, to have gotten to know you over the last four years, to, to continue to participate in events like this. Um, these are important, really important opportunities to continue to share my views, which are frankly the views of so many people throughout the world. And, and I often um, say people throughout the world, not just Americans, because there are people, as I mentioned earlier, who I've heard from in all parts of the world who have encouraged me to continue to keep holding the faith. Um, I think that there are a lot of people who were very, very concerned that um, that now that Joe Biden's president, everything will be great. Well, it's important for us to continue to hold um, everybody's feet to the fire. I love that. Can you share one thing that you may have heard from somebody that really hit you and made you realize that you made an impact? Well, I'm going to give you a good and I'm going to give you a bad. I'm going to give you the bad first. It's a beautiful woman that I, I got to know by the name of Olga. She is from uh, Munich, Germany. And she emailed me and she said, and she's an elderly woman. And she said, you know, I grew up in the shadow of Nazi Germany. I've seen this picture before. That is frightening. And, and, and she said, you know, please continue to speak out. This world cannot sustain another Adolf Hitler or Nazi Germany. So that's, that's one sort of negative side. It's very sort of sad, but it's a, a realistic picture. I would say that the positive was my mother, who, when I spoke at the DNC, she was 90 years old. She's since passed away. I was, I was so concerned she was not going to see the speech in real time at the nursing home that she was living in. But I had, like everybody, all set up to make sure. And, you know, she said to me, it was a, an aged voice, a, a weak voice. But what she said was a great strength. So the point was a weak voice, but a very, very strong message, which is, you know, thank you for making me and our family proud for standing up for what you believe in, but also what so many people in America and this world believe in. Those were the thoughts of my mom. And so you, you know, just coming full circle to, you know, one of the questions you asked me at the beginning, how is it that I came to be who I was? Well, what my mom said um, at the end of this podcast is exactly what gave me the strength to do what I did. That's awesome. So regardless of what your political affiliation may be, you really have to give credit where credit is due. I'm sure it took a lot for you to be the first to step up and speak out and voice your opinion. 
lawfully, I have to say that now, and show up for the truths that you hold on to, you know, country over party. Your willingness to be out there for other people. And I think that's something you really have to respect. Well, thank you. The friendship we've developed, even though it's been virtual, yes. and for and for your audience who's listening, you may not all realize, but this is the first time that even I've actually laid eyes on each other. We've communicated yeah. through Twitter and email and texts yes. for, for years. And we actually did visit on the phone at one point, but we've not actually, you know, had an intense, uh, complete discussion. Yeah. It, it's, it's been like a snippets of, of 140 characters <laughs> over four years, <laughs> over yes. four years yes. that has led to this point. So I'm, I'm thrilled to be here with you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Doug. So sign us off. Let me know who you are and what you represent. I am Doug Elmitz, and I represent those who are voiceless or those who are reluctant to speak out. Great. Thanks to Doug Elmitz for coming to Repin and for sharing his time and experiences. Check out Elmitz Communications and Doug on social media. I'll have those links in the show description. My next guest is one of the hosts of the nationally syndicated and popular morning show, The Breakfast Club. She's also involved with a ton of philanthropic efforts, everything from Dress to Success to Annual Coats for Kids to World AIDS Day and pretty much everything in between. The amazing Angela Yee is on the show. I mean, whenever I decide I want to do something, I also think about how can this benefit other people? I don't need it to just benefit me. All right, guys, this is Angela Yee, and you know I spilled out my guts. I told it all. Don't miss my episode of Reppin'. That's coming up next. She is such a boss. Don't miss it. And thank you guys for being out there and for listening. I appreciate your choosing to be with us here. This show is made for you because I want to have conversations that are interesting and create positive change. And all of my guests share this goal. But this show is only as good as the people it reaches. So share it and pay it forward. Where can you find it? Well, Revan is available on all top podcast platforms. So subscribe, tell your friends and leave a review. And now every episode of Reppin is available for download. So put it on your mobile devices and take me to work. And you can reach out and message me on Twitter at Reppin Podcast and follow me on Instagram at Reppin underscore podcast. Thanks always to my fantastic technical director and musical composer, Nelson Pinero. And always love and thanks to Gracie Kong. Reppin is a Suburban Outlaw Productions. Until next time, stand up and represent. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, 
Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.